third grade, <clears throat> and uh, no, that, that's true. It's true. We met in third grade, uh, and uh, we got married uh, when we were 12. So anyway, no, uh, but uh, we met in third grade, but we were high school sweethearts, and we got married uh, later when we were 21. So we were pretty young when we got married. But, uh, you know, we got to go away this, uh, this winter for a uh, week away without our four kids, uh, to celebrate our 15 years uh, together, and that was pretty exciting. And we got to go back to, uh, for a day, we spent a day in Mexico. And uh, the thing that was kind of cool about that, we had gone there before we had kids, when we had money, and, um, and we, we, went there for, uh, and we, we went there for a week with some friends, and we went uh, scuba diving. And I've told some of you guys that story before, and it didn't go very well for me. Um, I, I went scuba diving, I used to say. I went with my buddy, and... Um, uh, you know, I, I have asthma, and so sort of that kind of constriction of that small mask on my face just feels very, very, you know, very gripping, very constricting to trying to breathe. And then, you know, the shark that swam right past me um, sort of made me panic a little bit. And, and then I, I actually blew the regulator out of my mouth because um, I was trying so hard to focus on my breathing in and out. I blew so hard it came out of my mouth. And, uh, and so there I am on the, on the ocean floor panicking, trying to get this thing to shove it back in my mouth. And so I just swam to the top of the surface way too fast. And when you do that, everything that you have eaten that day also comes to the surface very fast. And so, and so that was my first experience scuba diving, so it didn't go very well. But we were going back, and I knew that I wanted to, to get back in the water. I wanted to try something again. And uh, I, I, love, I love the idea of exploring and seeing a world I, hadn't, I haven't seen before. And, 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 I'm, and I don't know, I'm just not smart enough, I guess, to not try something a second time. And so, you know, we, we wanted to do something again. But this time, Tara and I wanted to do it together, so we didn't do scuba diving, but we went snorkeling. And, uh, you know, this is going to be a great experience. And so we, we, uh, we get to the place, beautiful beach, and they're going through the instruction. And I'm, I'm not nervous at all. Like, I'm really excited about this. Uh, but then as soon as we put our gear on and we get into the water, I feel my heart just kind of like, oh, my goodness. You know, it's amazing how our brains can remember things, right? When we eat something and it makes us sick, right, we remember that, like, like 40 years later, we still don't want to eat that one thing. Our brain has a memory, right, that tells us don't eat that, you know, or it makes us feel a little sick in the stomach or, or we do something and have a bad experience and then it can be out of nowhere. Maybe the smell of that, of, of that event that happened that was so bad just reminds us that and our brain says something's wrong. Don't do that again. Well, that's kind of what was happening to me. I'm getting ready to walk into the water and my heart is just like, you know, like, oh my goodness. And I'm like telling myself, John, you're going snorkeling. You're going to be fine. You know, um, you're going you're gonna to make it. You're going to be fine. They, they, you, you have the right gear. You're trained, you know, and I'm having to tell myself, right, to, to follow through. The problem wasn't, the problem wasn't uh, you know, in my training. The problem wasn't in my gear. The problem was right here. This is where the problem was, right? The problem was right here. This is where the problem was. And so for me to be able to get out there, I had to change the way that I was feeling on the inside, right? Change happens from the inside out, not from the outside in. And in fact, we did have a great experience. I brought a picture along of me. It looks like we're swimming in a pool. That is the ocean. That's how clear it was. It was beautiful. It was awesome. Got to swim right through all these fish that were incredible. We saw this like statue that was on the bottom of the floor of the ocean floor and, uh, and, and this debris from the ship that had shipwrecked. Pretty awesome stuff. I definitely recommend it. Trying to overcome any, any fears you'd have and, and trying some new stuff like that. But the change had to come on the inside and it had to work its way outside. That's how change is, guys. Last week, many people found eternal life, right? We talked about it, 300 people. And, 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 the, and, and everyone that's here in the main or in the link, I imagine at some point in your life, 
the majority of us have found eternal life in Jesus Christ. That's why we're probably here. There's some that are still searching or some that maybe are showing up looking for something. But most of us have found that relationship with Jesus and we have that eternal life. Um, But eternal life is not, a relationship with Jesus is not just about the very far, far future of eternal life. Uh, Or what we hope is the far future anyway, right? But there is actually something in between that's also important. This life that we have here on earth is also really, really critical. If, if a relationship with Jesus was only about eternal life, that would kind of be like when I got married to Tara um, 15 years ago and I said, you know, I, I'm, I'm marrying you and you can pr- I can promise you that I will take care of you in retirement. Right? That is, that is a view of a relationship with Jesus that only has a view of eternal life. But there's a whole lot in the middle, right? That's what Tara would say to me. Okay, that's great about retirement, but what about like for the next, you know, 30, 40 years or whatever? What, I mean, what about that? And so our relationship with Jesus is not just about the far future. We don't live in our past, but we don't live in the far future as well. Christ wants to give us life today. Life today. And, and so what we want to talk about today, if you're a brand new Christian or even a Christian for 50 years, we want to talk about what do you do in the meantime? How does God get the most out of you? How do you see change happen in your life so that you become that person that you want to be in the future? What, what do you do to get there? What's that going to look like? How do we see change happen? And, and, and I kind of already gave it away a little bit. It happens from the inside out, from the inside out. Real life change happens on the inside. Jesus talked about that in the scriptures. Would you turn your Bibles to the book of Matthew? That is the first Bible in, or the first book in the New Testament, the book of Matthew. If you need a Bible, we have ushers here in the link. We have ushers, also have ushers here in the main that would love to give you one so that you can follow along today. Matthew chapter 15. Jesus is put to the test here in Matthew 15. He's asked some questions that really answer the questions that I'm asking today is how do we see change happen in our lives? What is the basis of my relationship with God? All right, now that I'm a follower of his, what does my life look like? What's my relationship with him look like? And we're gonna read verses eight and nine together. So when you found those, you can actually stand up. We're gonna read those together. And in these two verses, Matthew 15, 8 and 9, Jesus is quoting from the Old Testament. He's quoting the prophet Isaiah. And so we're going to pick it up there where he's answering this question uh, that was asked to him. And here's what he says. Read with me, uh, Matthew 15, 8 and 9. Ready? Let's read. These people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. They worship me in vain. Their teachings are merely human rules. Thank you for reading. You can have a seat. That is a description that we don't want Jesus to say about us. And that's what we're looking at this passage today to see how can we be the opposite of the people that he's describing who honor him only with their lips, but their hearts are far from him. They worship me in vain. Their teachings are merely human rules. How do we change that? Well, hearts that are open to Jesus lead to lives that are changed by Jesus. Okay, that's really critical that you understand that. And when we think about change, when we think about goals, when we think about becoming a different person, when we think about seeing ourselves as better than we are today, we are often tempted to start 
with a list of like rules or behavior changes that we want or we need to see in our lives to become that person. And there is some truth to that. But Jesus here in this passage calls those things at the end of verse 9 merely human rules. Because Jesus knows that real change doesn't happen by me or you just changing our behaviors. It doesn't happen from the outside in. But real change comes from the inside out. Jesus knows that real change starts in our hearts. That's where it starts. And for you and I who have tried to change ourselves by only changing um, the outside of us, we've flopped several times. Because it doesn't work like that. It comes from the inside out. It, become, it comes from us submitting our hearts to God. So let's go back to the beginning of this passage here. We read the, the verses 8 and 9. But to help you understand what was Jesus even talking about, we got to go back to, to the beginning of the chapter to understand the context. Now there's a lot that's been going on here. Let me set up the whole chapter 15. There's a lot that's going on here in Jesus' ministry, right? So we're about halfway through the book of Matthew. So Jesus is an adult now and he is, uh, has his ministry going on. About the age of 30, he starts to minister and he's traveling from town to town and he's teaching people and he's healing people. In fact, in chapter 14, Jesus feeds over 5,000 people with just a couple of loaves of bread and a couple of fish, right? Pretty, pretty awesome, pretty amazing stuff. And then at the end of chapter 14, it tells us that Jesus walks on water. He goes from one side of a lake to the other side. His friends are rowing in a boat and they're not making it very far. And there he goes just walking right past them. What's up? Right? And uh, so he's doing some incredible stuff. And people are beginning to hear about him. His fame is just growing, growing, growing throughout uh, Israel. Take a look at a map that I have here of Israel to kind of give you an idea of where Jesus spent his time. If you look at where the first arrow is, this is where Jesus was from. This is the small town of Nazareth in northern Israel, okay? And then you take a look at the next arrow. This is where Jesus spent a lot of his time ministering, this town of Capernaum. And he would spend a lot of time there. He did a lot of ministry in, in there. In fact, his very first miracle was done there. And this is where he was uh, in that area when he fed the 5,000 people. Then after that, he goes across the Sea of Galilee, walks across it, doesn't go around it. And he goes to this town of Gennesaret here at the end of chapter 14. And so Jesus spent a lot of his time up there in the northern part of Israel. And so when Jesus begins to get more popular and he begins to talk about things about God, um, there are people that are like, who is this guy? He was a carpenter from Nazareth. He doesn't have the right credentials. He, he, he wasn't approved by the proper committees to be teaching about God. And so we're going to see in the, in the beginning of chapter 15 that a group of people come from the south here. The last arrow points to the, to the capital city of Jerusalem where they're saying, he's not from Jerusalem. He's not from the temple. We didn't teach him. So how does this guy have authority to be teaching about God? And so we're going to see a group of people that come then to see Jesus. Take a look at Matthew chapter 15, verse 1. It says, Then some Pharisees and teachers of the law came to Jesus from Jerusalem, and they asked, Why do your disciples break the tradition of the elders? They don't wash their hands before they eat. Now, let's pause there to understand a little bit of what, he's, what they're asking. The tradition of the elders of washing their hands. Don't, don't get tempted into thinking, don't read our American um, sort of sterilized minds into 
well, why wouldn't you wash your hands before you eat? That's gross. Peter's disgusting, right? <laughs> Maybe you're thinking you have sons like I do, where when they come out of the restroom, you're like, uh, I did not hear the sink, right? Um, please go back in there and wash your hands, right? But that's not what the disciples, I'm sorry, that's not what the Jews, the Pharisees, uh, the Pharisees here were concerned about. They weren't concerned about hygiene. They were talking about this uh, Jewish pharisaical concept of clean versus unclean. And, they, and again, they're not talking about um, cleanliness like hygiene of your body. They're talking about a spiritual state. In the Old Testament, when God gave, revealed his word to his people Israel, there was this concept of clean versus unclean. Clean would be understood as a person who was uh, right and ready to approach and worship God. A person who was unclean was a person who was not right, not ready, and not able to approach or worship God. And, and you could become unclean for lots of reasons. For different things in your life that were sin, you could become unclean where you weren't ready to approach God or worship God. Um, for, uh, uh, for things like um, <clears throat> having a cut could make you unclean because your body wasn't whole or perfect or whatever, ready to go see God. You could uh, not be able to see God if you would to touch a dead animal or a dead person. Uh, you, would, you would not be considered clean. Uh, you could not be considered clean if you ate out of a bowl that maybe was touched, like, say, by a mouse or something. Um, then you would, and you ate something from that bowl, then you could be unclean. And then uncleanness could be passed. It was transferable from person to person. So if I was unclean because I ate out of a bowl that maybe was unclean, then if I bumped into somebody and touched them, now they're unclean as well. And so it was really, really this a complicated system of, of unclean versus clean. And so what the Jewish elders, what the, what the Jewish teachers, uh, religious teachers had done was they set up this entire system of washings to represent the cleansing um, that they, those people needed so that they could approach God. And so they had to wash themselves and clean themselves all day long. They would, they would do different things. I mean, imagine trying to walk through the lobby here at Grace in between second and third service right? And not touching anybody because you don't know if they're clean or unclean. It just can't happen. And so imagine the busy marketplaces in Israel where people are buying things, selling things, going to here, running there, and they're just touching each other, bumping into each other. And so the religious leaders had come up with a system where they could, people could wash themselves, wash their hands so that they could, in, in their minds, become clean. What God had set up as a simple way for people to make sure that they were right and ready to worship him and approach him had turned into this incredible mess of overwhelming hoops to jump through to be right with God. And, and so the Pharisees, the, the Jewish leaders, had determined um, that you needed a certain amount of water to wash. It had to be a minimum amount of water. You had to do it in the morning and then throughout the day several times. And a strict Jew would even wash not only before a meal, but in between certain courses of the same meal they would wash. And they would take their hands and there was a certain way they had to do it. They would dip their hands in, fingertips first. They would bring them out, palms down like this, so the water would run down and just drip off. But then, here's the thing. When you would touch the water, it would clean your fingertips. But because now the water was touching your unclean hand, by the time it got down to the bottom of your hand, the Pharisees would teach, now it was dirty again. Now, now the water itself was unclean. 
And so then you would take your hands and you would bring them back in this way, palms first, and then let it drip off your fingertips so that now both parts of your hands were considered clean and ready to worship God, ready to eat. And so it was just an incredible thing. So when they're asking this question, why don't your disciples, why do they break the traditions of the elders? Why don't they wash their hands before they eat? That's what they're asking about, okay? And so here's what Jesus replies to them. He doesn't necessarily answer them right away. It's really neat what he does. He asks them another question. Don't, doesn't that bother you when your parents used to do that to you? They don't answer your question. They ask you another question, trying to make you think. Just tell me. But here's what Jesus does. Well, why do you break the commandment of God for the sake of your traditions? For God said, honor your father and mother, and anyone who curses their father or mother is put to death. But you say that if anyone declares that what might have been used to help their father and mother is devoted to God, well, they're not to honor their father and mother with it. Thus you nullify the word of God for the sake of your tradition. Jesus talks then about another tradition that the Jewish elders had come up with. Because they were trying to flesh out how a relationship with God looked, but they were adding on top of the scripture things that people had to do to be pleased with God. And listen, you and I have to be very careful about adding on top of scripture things that we think people need to do to be right with God. We create lists of what we think I need to look like or what another person needs to look like to be a right Christian. If they don't follow my list, then we judge them. And I'm telling you, that's what these Pharisees were doing and Jesus calls them on it. Anytime something that is a tradition or a discipline that you have for your life that you think is important for you, that's great. But when you start putting those things onto other people and they're not from scripture themselves, you, you need to be careful. And Jesus calls them on this. And, and he says, why have you placed these traditions above the word of God? And, and, and he brings out this one where they had this custom that they'd come up with where things could be, you see in parentheses, it says devoted to God. It's the word Corbin. They, they would say things could be claimed as Corbin. In other words, I have all these, all these possessions, my house, my, my you know, income, whatever. I want to devote those to God. So they said, you, you can devote all those things to God and call it Corbin. And, and so what people do, that sounds like it's really a good thing to do. But then when people needed help, they would say, oh, I'm sorry. I, I can't help you to their own parents or to neighbors or friends or family. I... This, this couch, this house, it's not mine, it's God's, and, and so I, I can't let you use it. Um, this, this extra resources that I have, that are money, they're not mine, they're God's, so I, I'm sorry, I can't help you with it. And they were missing what God had, had, had told them to do, right? Which was to honor their parents, to, to care for other people, and they were putting their traditions even above God's word. They were adding on top of God's word. Jesus calls them out on this. They thought their outward behaviors would be something that would please God. But God, Jesus knew that open hearts is what leads to changed lives. And, And so he's not falling for it. Jesus then says to them what we already read. We'll pick it up there in verse seven and read it one more time. Matthew 15, Jesus says, you hypocrites. Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you. These people honor me with their lips but their hearts are far from me. They worship me in vain. Their teachings are merely human rules, right? Here was the rub between Jesus and these Pharisees. 
You see, the Pharisees, these religious teachers, they saw religion as an observance of certain outward rules to guide their conduct. Emphasis on the words outward and conduct. They thought it meant to be a follower of God meant that I did, some, I did certain things. I acted a certain way. Focus on the outward things. And that's what would please God. But Jesus totally sees it differently. Instead of a religion, Jesus taught and practiced a relationship with God that started but also settled in the heart. Not in the outward appearance, but inside the heart. Because Jesus knows that real change comes inside out. Emphasis being on relationship and heart. Now that doesn't mean just for salvation. I didn't just become a Christian when I gave my heart to Jesus, when I asked him to come into my heart, but then I sort of work it out from there myself. No, I continually offer my heart to Jesus because he is the only one who can change me because I am desperately wicked and evil, right? It doesn't change about me. Only what God does in me to change me. I, I continue to need his grace in my life. Change comes on the inside out. Hearts open to Jesus lead to lives changed by Jesus. When we try to change our behavior without addressing our hearts, we flop. We fall on our faces. We, we, we don't see the results we're looking for because we can't change ourselves outside in. According to Isaiah, who Jesus quotes, our hearts are more important than what we say or what we do because our hearts will actually impact what we say and what we do. The Jewish leaders, their opening question to Jesus sets up one of the most important passages here in the gospel story that we read. Because this is a collision of two views of religion. A collision of two views of the demands of God. There's no room for compromise between these two views. One that says, I must change myself. One that says, God must change me. And there is no room really for those two to exist together. What Jesus was teaching was so foreign and was in such opposition to what had become established by this Jewish religion. And you know what? Not much has changed in 2,000 years. Do you know, as human beings all over our world, we may call it different things, but Jesus' teachings are still in opposition to what most people believe about life and faith. Maybe in other parts of the world, it's called karma, where I work out my end with myself. Or maybe we, we, call it, we call it good deeds that will lead me to paradise. Or here in America, we call it pulling ourselves up by our own bootstraps. But the idea that I can change myself if I just work hard enough is still so popular today. That's what Jesus was fighting against 2,000 years ago. Or what's a greater temptation to us, and the reason we're tempted to just change ourselves, is that even if I'm not different, at least I can give the appearance that I am. We just set up a certain set of rules that we're going to follow, a certain you know, way we're going to live. 
We're not going to go to a couple of places. We're not going to um, associate or talk to certain types of people or whatever the list is that you've created for yourself or maybe someone has given to you. And this religious system that Jesus was confronting here in Matthew, which is a lot like the religious systems that we have set up for ourselves today, was intentionally external and superficial. It didn't get to the heart. In fact, it could be followed without any change of the heart. And I see a lot of people in churches that want to change without their hearts being affected. And it just doesn't work. It just doesn't work. It's not something I can do. I can't manufacture change. Our hearts are so important. The religious system that Jesus was confronting was most concerned with covering up sin, not exposing it or cleansing it. With appearing righteous and not really being righteous. Jesus doesn't want you just to look better. He wants you to actually be better. He doesn't want you just to look like a Christian, like a Christ follower. He wants you to actually be like Christ. So we don't just change ourselves on the outside. It comes from the inside out. Jesus taught a different way. Even the good behaviors or even the good disciplines that you might be trying to incorporate into your life will not matter if your heart is not in it. It won't matter. Hearts that are open to Jesus lead the lives that are changed by Jesus. Why is our heart so important? Well, Proverbs 4.23 tells us, Proverbs 4.23 says, we must guard our hearts because it is the wellspring of life. Wellspring, write down wellspring of life. Do you guys know what a wellspring is? A wellspring is the original source of something. And so it's the original source where the water comes that flows down into all the rivers, that flows down into all the other bodies of water and then into the ocean. It's the wellspring. It's where it comes from. And so if you want to plug up all the rest of the water supply, you just got to stop the, the, the wellspring and then everything else is in trouble. If you want to poison the entire water supply, you just poison the wellspring where it flows from and it trickles down into everything else. The same is true of our hearts. Our hearts affect what comes out of our mouths, what comes out of our minds, what we do with our hands, with our lives. Our hearts control everything. They are that critical. They're that important. That's why we must guard our hearts because that's where change starts. That's why change must start in our heart. Now, if you were to do a survey and maybe you ask Google, right? Because Google knows everything. Or maybe to ask people and you were to do a survey about maybe like the best five or six inventions of all time. What kind of things would pop up on the list, right? Think for a moment. You'd probably see things like electricity, right? A light bulb, right? Uh, The World Wide Web, right? Incredible how it's impacted and changed our lives. Things like that. Do you know what also would need to be on that list, I think? Something that I think is a life changer is duct tape, okay? Duct tape. Don't tell me that not every single person in this room 
right, has gone to this at one time in their life because it was a quick, simple fix, right? In fact, when Tara and I were married, a month before we got married, my dad and I were out, we were playing golf. And uh, we were driving to the golf course. There was this garage sale we drove past and we went and we played. On the way back home afterwards, the garage sale was over. Nothing was left except for a table and six chairs. And on top of the table was a sign that said, free, take me. And so we did. I believed that was written by the hand of the Lord. And so I, I took that table and chairs. I'm just kidding about that part. But I took the table and chairs. We went and we picked it up. And, uh, you know, Terry didn't have a lot of money. We were getting started. We certainly didn't want to go into debt just to, to try to furnish our home. And so we uh, took these, these six chairs and this table. And now the chairs were wood. They were real wood. So I was able to refinish all of them, sanded them down, refinish them. I thought they looked awesome. I thought I could have sold them for thousands of dollars. They were so pretty. But uh, that's, that was just maybe, maybe just me. I was really excited. But they looked really nice. The table itself, though, was not real wood. The top of it was Formica, okay? And whoever that family was that had owned it that lived at that house um, did not have a pet, but actually had a monster. Uh, I'm, I'm, pretty sure, I'm pretty sure that it was a wolf or it was a grizzly bear. I couldn't quite tell, but it was one of those two for sure. Because around the edge of the entire table were just these claw marks and these, these scratches and these bite marks where an incredible fight had occurred over and over and over and over again. And uh, so I couldn't do any, I couldn't stand down for Micah like that. And so, you know, I thought and thought and thought and thought. And do you know what I came up with? Duct tape. And so I took duct tape, several rolls, in fact, and I finished the entire top of the surface and the entire around the surface. And when I was done, it was incredibly smooth and it was incredibly gray. And you know what we did? We put a tablecloth on it and we used that table for the first five years that we were married. We had holidays at that table. We had our co-workers over to our house for parties at that table. We hosted tons of church events at our house with that table. No one ever knew what was under the uh, tablecloth. We never took it off. Sometimes I'd even forget. Like, you know, I'd pull up the table and be like, oh my goodness, what is up with our table? <laughs> oh yeah, I did that, you know? You would just forget. We never saw it. Duct tape is an amazing thing and it can cover up and it can fix lots of things. But you know what, guys? Duct tape cannot fix our lives. And when we try to fix ourselves from the outside, that's what we're doing. We're taking duct tape and we're trying to put our, put, cover our holes up that are in our character, trying to maybe fix something that needs fixed. And you know what? God doesn't want to cover up your holes. Do you know that God actually wants to change you? God does so much more than covering up. God does so much more than fixing. God literally wants to change you on the inside. And as you offer your heart to God, you will see him do incredible things in your heart and incredible things in your life that you never thought were possible. You thought you just needed to change on the outside that it would appear that you would be fixed or appear that you were a better person than you are. And you know what? God actually wants to make you a better person than you are. God actually wants to change you, not just fix you, not just cover you up, 
but actually make you into an object that is beautiful to look at. No matter how hard I tried to cover up that table, every time you'd lift up the table uh, cloth, you would see that I hadn't fixed anything. God wants to fix you. I'm sorry, God doesn't just want to fix you, but God wants to actually change you. God wants to make you into something beautiful that you could behold, not into just a, a table covered by duct tape. See, open hearts to Jesus lead to lives that are changed by Jesus. Is it possible that the words that are coming out of your mouth and the actions that are coming out of your heart and the thoughts that are coming out of your mind could be changed if you would first give your whole heart to Jesus? The answer is yes, it can. Hearts that are open to Jesus lead to lives that are changed by Jesus. One of my favorite passages of scripture gives us some insight here to how we can uh, go about seeing change happen in our lives. Psalm chapter 139. I love the prayer of the psalmist here. In fact, this is probably my favorite psalm, Psalm 139. So if you turn there, I want to show you some verses. If I've ever come and visited you in the hospital, there's a good chance I read this because I love this passage of scripture, the entire chapter. But we're just going to look at two verses, the last two in the chapter. Psalm 139, verses 23 and 24. This is a prayer to pray every single day. Really focus. Maybe this week, this month, this year, this becomes a prayer that you really focus on praying. David writes this, verse 23, 24, Psalm 139. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts and see if there is any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. David gives us a couple of things that we need to seek God about, a couple of things that we can do. And so I wanna give you just four things to write down, four things to do, right, for you to get from here to there, Between eternal life and now, what are we going to do? How is God going to change my life and be at work in me? Here's four things. Number one, ask God to search you and point out offensive ways. The psalmist talks about offensive ways, right? See if there be any offensive way in me. That is sin, okay? That is sin. Sin that offends a holy, perfect, righteous God. And as a loving father, when we ask him to search us, to search our hearts and to see if there's offensive ways in us, he will do that. He will point out those things in your heart that need to change and he will give you a direction to go on to change those things. For some of this, for some of us, if we're honest with ourselves, the reason we don't see life change happening in our hearts or in our lives is because we don't really want it. Sometimes we like our sin more than we love our Savior. Sometimes we like our sin more than we love our Savior. And we're not seeing heart change because we're not really willing to say, God, search me. 
See if there's any offensive way in me and take it out of there. I don't want that anymore. I love you. I don't want to be that person anymore, God. And we're not willing to sincerely, honestly, really seek God about sin that might be holding on to our hearts. That's got to be the first thing that we say, search me, God. Point out the offensive way in my hearts. For change to happen in my life, there needs to be real change in my heart. And that's where it's got to start for some of you guys. That's where it's got to start for me. I got to want to change. I got to want to stop, step away and say no more sin in my life. I don't want that anymore. That's not who I am. But until I do, until I'm honest and have a conversation with God and say, I want you to change me, please search my heart, change me. That's not going to happen. I'm not going to change. The second thing that we do is, uh, it says, ask God to search you and point out your anxious thoughts. Psalm 139, David uh, writes about anxious thoughts as well. Search me, God. Know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. Sometimes it's not sin that holds us back from being all that Christ meant us to be, but our minds are so filled up with just lies. Things that we believe about ourselves, things that we believe about other people, or things that we believe about the world that we live in. Things like, I could never change. This is who I am. This is who my dad was. This is who I'm going to be. This is who my mom was. This is who I'm going to be. This is the family I grew up in. This is how we do things. This is how we do it in America or how we do it in Indiana or how we do it in Elkhart County. This is, just the, this is who I am. I can't change. This is how I have to do it to be at work. I can't change at work. You don't understand. I, I can't be a different person and work. And we have these lies that fill our minds, that flood our minds, that are keeping us from being who Christ intends us to be. We gotta say, God, search my heart. What are, what are those lies that I'm believing? What are those anxious thoughts, those things that I'm holding on to that just aren't true? And we gotta hold those things up to scripture. Hold those things up to scripture because, because sometimes we, we're hanging on to those things. We're not leaving room for God to do what only he can do. We sort of see it the way we have to do it and we have those lies in our minds. And the third thing, when I say we have to hold it up against Scripture, we have to test ourselves against the Bible. Right, the psalmist writes, search me, O God, know my heart and test me. Well, the test for our lives, the standard for our lives is right here. It's not, it's not our brother or our coworker or our spouse or anybody else. Because usually, you know, we'll tend to think of ourselves as like, well, man, I could never change. I could never be like that person. Or we think of ourselves, well, I'm pretty good because I'm not as bad as that person. (laughs) And we tend to use ourselves or other people as the test or the standard. And listen, this is the test. This is the standard right here. Okay? We line ourselves up and we give God's word complete authority in our lives. That if it says it, that we're going to live by it. That I'm the one who's wrong, not this scripture. I must be thinking something wrong, not this text. And we change ourselves, we test ourselves against the scriptures, against the inspired word of God. We must test ourselves. Do you know that even research, even research has been done by uh, Christian researchers show that the number one thing that you can do to, be, to grow in your relationship with God If you have been a Christian for one week or one hour or 50 years, the best thing that you can do to grow in your relationship with God, do you know what it is? Is to read your Bible and to reflect on it. 
to let the Holy Spirit speak to you through his word. That's the best thing you can do. You've been a Christian for 70 years, guess what? God has still work, has more work to do in your life. And the best thing you can do is to read God's word on your own in your life. And, and, and there are other things you can do. Coming to church, great. Being a part of a small group, fantastic. Putting disciplines in your life that are gonna help you grow, that's awesome. But the number one thing, the best thing to do before anything else is you have daily quiet time with God. And you know, listen, you don't, don't, don't make a big deal if you miss a day. It's okay. There's no guilt on you from Jesus. Just start again today, all right? So as many days as you can, you spend that time with God. It doesn't have to be elaborate. You don't have to read it in Greek or Hebrew. Certainly I don't, <laughs> right? Find a simple Bible that you can understand and, 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 and maybe there's a, 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 a devotional for you to go along with that's helping you, right? There could be, there's so many. If you have a, a smartphone on version, there's so many great plans on there that you can read through. Right now, I'm reading through the Bible in 40 days. Not the whole Bible in 40 days, but kind of like the 40 main passages. I'm trying to get the whole story. I'm trying to remind myself of the big story. And then, you know, before that, I, I was doing one about um, feeding my wife's love languages and looking at scriptures that talk about honoring your wife. So there are so many variety, a huge variety of plans. You can go to a Christian bookstore if you don't have a smartphone and find a lot of cool uh, devotionals that'll help you. But let me just say this, okay, about any quiet time that you have with God, and when you're using a devotional, you make sure that you're not just reading what another person thinks about the scripture, but you're actually reading the scripture yourself, okay? Because 1 John 2.20 says that the Holy Spirit is your teacher. You have the Holy Spirit inside of you. He can help you understand this book, okay? So you, you, you get into the word. You let it become a part of your life. That is the best thing that you can do to see growth and change happen in your life. As you compare yourself with scripture and then you ask the Holy Spirit, you say, search me, God. Show me any sin in my life. God, show me those, those lies that I'm believing in my life. Let's root those things out of there. And if you have that sincere heart to, to do that, you're gonna see amazing change begin to happen in your life. Because there's the fourth thing then you gotta do is you got to start walking in that everlasting way. The psalmist says, lead me in the way everlasting. you got to start walking in that way. So yeah, change does bring about action steps. There are absolutely things you need to change in your life to see change happen. But my point this morning is that it doesn't start from the outside in. It starts from the inside out. And once I've asked God to search me, to show me things in my life that need change, to show me the plan, and then I begin to interact with my small group, I begin to interact with my accountability partners or the people that are around me that are godly, that are pushing me towards Christ, I come up with a plan then that I'm going to walk through it, but it starts in my heart. It starts with a sincere heart that says, God, I'm desperate for you to change me. God, I want you to change me. And then I began to work out things from there. And you know what? You'll be stunned at the person that Jesus will make you into. I don't, I, I don't think it'll be little changes. I think it'll be big changes. I think you'll see him do amazing miracles in your life. Things that were strongholds that you thought would never change about yourself. I believe God's gonna change those in your life. I believe that I've seen it happen in my life. I've seen it happen in lots of people's lives. God can do it in your life. You gotta, you gotta give God room to work. You gotta give God the room to, to do what's impossible because he can absolutely do it. I just heard yesterday about, about someone who, who saw something happen in their life that they literally thought was impossible. But God can do that. And only he can. Only he can change hearts. That's why it goes from the inside out. And I should have wrote this one in there. Here's a fifth thing to do is to guard your heart. 
If you want to see your heart continue to change to be like Christ's, you must guard your heart. That's what, Psalm, that's what Proverbs 4.23 said. It's the wellspring of life. Guard your heart. Because listen, what you allow into your mind, what you allow into your life really does affect you. And so you need to be wise. And, and take that from a person who has not always been wise about what he's, how he's guarded his heart. You must guard your heart about what you allow in. Okay, conversations you have, media you take in. You know, if I'm watching more, you know, all, if I'm watching uh, uh, um, media and listening to stuff and in conversations all the time that is totally against what God is trying to do in my life, I, I'm going to see little change, right? I, I got, I, so I got to guard what's inside my heart. I got to put the right things in to see the right things come out as well. But you will be stunned at the person that Jesus will change you into. Now let me close just with a, with a small thought. Why does life have to be like this? Why is change not just like, you know, a snap of a finger, I can become this person that God wants me to be? Um, the, and, and the answer is, is that we have an enemy, that, that is trying to stop change in our lives, okay? Um, John Eldridge writes it this way. He, he says, there is something that is set against us. We are at war. You're not always blowing it, and God is never holding out on you. That's usually what we think, right? When we're not able to change, we either think, man, I just blow it all the time. I, I'm a lousy Christian. And listen, that's not true. Or sometimes we think, man, God, he's just not coming through for me. He's not helping me. That's not true either. Listen, that's not why it takes time. Um, It takes time. He goes on to say this. You and all those you know are under siege. The sooner that you come to terms with that, the better hope hope you have of making it through to the life that you do want. He writes, this is not Eden. You probably figured that out. But it's not even Mayberry. Mayberry. The world in which we live is a combat zone, a violent clash of kingdoms, a bitter struggle unto the death. You were born into a world at war, and you will live all of your days in the midst of a great battle, the greatest of all battles involving all the forces of heaven and hell playing out here on earth. That's why change is so hard, because you and I have an enemy that's trying to stop change in our lives, that's trying to stop this forward progress, this growth in my life and in your life. And so when we're tempted to get stuck, to feel like God's abandoned us, or to feel like I can never, ever change, or this area of my life is just what it is, it's never going to be different. Listen, those are things aren't true. Those are part of those lies we got to root out. No, it's just, it's going to be hard because we're, we're in a world that's at war with each other, right? We, we have an enemy that wants to destroy our lives. Jesus said, I come to offer life. But he's also said the enemy comes to steal, to kill, and to destroy I think Jesus would say to us, listen, one day you won't have an enemy. One day you won't be at war. One day you won't be in a war zone. One day the lambs will lie down with the lions. The scripture tells us that. But listen, that day is just not today. We're we're still here. And so while we're here, it's going to be hard. The offer that Jesus gives to you is life, but it's going to have to be fought for because there's a thief who has a different agenda. That explains a lot, doesn't it, when you understand that? That's helpful. But uh, absolutely possible, yeah. Jesus can change you. He can change me. Christ has a great plan for your heart. He has an incredible plan for your heart if you're willing to trust him with it. And so the question today is, where is your heart? Is your heart open to Jesus making you into somebody different 
than you are right now? Is it possible that you've been trying to live life with the wrong set of rules or a wrong set of uh, lies in your mind or a wrong set of actions that aren't going to lead to the results you're looking for? Is it possible that there are some things in your life that need to change? Are you open to God moving in you and changing you? Are you willing to lay down and not be so stubborn and hold on to what you think is right? Are you willing to allow your heart to be changed by the only one who can change your heart? Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we come to you today because we're not satisfied with where things are at. Lord, I believe uh, I'm talking to rooms full of people who aren't satisfied and, and who see things in their life that, that just make them discontent. Or God, if there are people that are here, Lord, that, that are feeling content and feeling like, yeah, I'm, I'm pretty good. I don't need God in my life or I really don't need his help. God, I pray that you would shake them. I pray that you would give them a holy discontentment. Lord Jesus, I pray that you would help us to become the men and the women that you desire us to be so that we can live up to the redemptive potential that you have for us in your son, Jesus Christ. So that his work on the cross that is absolutely finished and done would be realized in our lives. Would be fully realized in our lives. Lord Jesus, I pray that uh, that you would come and change our hearts, change our lives from the inside out. Today, we offer ourselves to you, and we are so excited to see what you want to do. And you love us so much, and you have such a great plan for each of our lives. And how you fit all those together in your sovereign will is amazing. And it's overwhelming to me, God, to even consider and think about. But Lord, I'm not God, I'm not you. So all I gotta do is worry about giving you my heart. So, Lord, that's what I do today. And I ask that you'll, you'll take it and, and, and you'll use me to do great things for you. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. We hope you guys have a great week. We love you guys. We'll see you next Sunday.